I'm a time lord. I'm from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Castelbrus. I hope the ears are a bit less conspicuous this time. You might be a doctor, but I am. I'm a doctor. That's probably not the one you expect. Absolutely fantastic. All of time and space, everything that ever happened or ever will. Where do you want to start? Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Big On Inside, the new Who Doctor Who Watch On podcast. My name is Tim Saxby. I'm here every week with my co-host, who I once saw put a full loaf of bread in a bin and then kick a kick 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 a man in square in the face because he said that white bread wasn't as good as brown bread, and there was a full blown argument. <laughs> Let's not get into it now. It's Harry Murdoch. Hello, Harry. How are you? I'm honestly just impressed that I managed to kick that high up that I reached his face. Well, if I remember rightly, you like went, you like sassy clapped him in the face, turned your back on him, and then high kicked over your own head straight in the face. Yeah, that's the kind of thing I do. I do that yeah. all the time. <laughs> if I was to say to you this week, Harry, there is no Doctor Who news whatsoever, what do you think you would say? Um, I would call you a liar and demand you to tell me what you're hiding. Harry, there is no Doctor Who news whatsoever this week. What, what the hell are you hiding, Tim? Who's <laughs> making you keep these secrets, Tim? <laughs> it's true. For, this happens occasionally. Um, I think we've happened once or twice before where there was just literally nothing going on in the world of Doctor Who that is worth talking about. There's usually bits of... There were some rumours this week and some set photos, but we already did a video on that. So... Um, yeah, we've got no news this week, but what we're going to do instead, why, why don't you tell everybody what we're going to do, Harold? Uh, we're going to uh, have a bit of a, a ramble discussing um, actors who could have played the Doctor, but cannot play the Doctor now, either because the time for them where it would have been perfect has passed, or um, because they've passed away. Yeah. So this is something we've talked about a couple of times, on and off on the podcast um the the watch along bit is coming up later i won't spoil what it is because um harry needs to do his amazing segue later which is going to be amazing fun but why don't you kick off with your list of people who you would have liked to have seen play the doctor but the chances of that ever happening are uh very unlikely or impossible um i'll be honest i do not have any kind of list when we agreed that we would do this video it was um the middle of the day um Mm. i was in uni um so what I've done is I've pulled up a um, article from a very reliable um, uh, encyclopedia online. Is it Tardis um, Wiki? No, no, it's the it's the big one. It's the big encyclopedia online. Ah, is that what it's called? <laughs> yes, yes, it is called <laughs> the big online encyclopedia, which anyone can edit. Therefore, the information. Oh, okay, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was very behind on that joke. You're talking about uh, a different wiki. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, so, a certain wiki um, encyclopedia. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to go first with someone then who you think would have been perfect for the role? Well, I'm not sure. None of these. I'm kind of reading all of these for almost the first time or just the second time. I just find them very interesting. The first of these is that for the second Doctor, apparently the role was offered to Brian Blessed, 
Yes, I've heard this one, yeah. What do you think of that? It's interesting. It's interesting. Obviously, after William Hartnell, there was no kind of established framework or archetype that the Doctor was expected to be. It was very much Patrick Troughton, whose characterization very much defined what we perceive the Doctor to be. Um, so I feel like blessed with his, you know, booming voice and larger-than-life presence, it would have very much redefined the role for the rest of the series, if there was a rest of the series. There's every possibility that Blessed would have totally alienated audiences even more so than Troughton did, and that would have been the end of Doctor Who. Yeah. Yeah, that I, I sometimes feel like Troughton doesn't get the recognition he deserves for what he did, because he... If that casting was wrong, and if he that performance was wrong, that wouldn't have carried on. That would have been the it. That would have been it. That would have been the end of it. Exactly. Yeah. And we all would have gone. We have so much to thank. Troughton. Sorry, gone. Yeah. I was just going to say, I have so much to thank for Troughton. If it wasn't for him, Doctor would just be some old sci-fi show the BBC made in the sixties that we probably wouldn't be talking about right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've just dug up a quote here from Brian Blessed. It says, I was approached, it was a long story, I was in um, BBC police drama Z Cars for two years playing Fancy Smith, the tough, heroic Yorkshireman, and then BBC producer Andrew Osborne took me for a long walk and he said, Bill Hartnell is very old and we want a young Doctor Who. Um, Blessed claims that he had a long meeting with them, with them all, and as he weighed up whether to ex- um, accept the part or take up another role he'd been offered, um, I said, "Really, guys, I love Doctor Who. I love watching it, but I don't want—I don't see him the way you see him." Um, he wanted to make the Doctor. What he wanted to make? His ideas were allegedly allegedly involved doing makeup to make the Doctor Chinese, were quickly shot down by BBC producers. They nearly had a heat heart attack. I was actually scared for them. I was actually scared them. I actually scared them to effing death. So I went off and did the Three Musketeers. Yeah, that probably wouldn't have aged very well, Brian Blessed. <laughs> oh no, you know. Yeah, I think I think I think the trial was the right choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like the fact that even if like Brian Blessed could have done it, and we were like, yeah, it would have been great. It would have been different. And we were like. <laughs> He just wanted to like do the, the most horrible like dated comedy ever, which is make yourself look like a different race. <laughs> Horrific. Um, let me jump onto my list. I made my list a little while ago, so I've got suggestions on here that I'm not really sure why I've put down. But um, one here is one that is I think is a fan casting, and there was probably a couple of there was probably like two years where this was a possibility, but now way too big of an actor. Um, I think has been asked if he would do it and has said no, he wouldn't want to do it, but I think he would be actually really good as it is Benedict Cumberbatch, um, currently Doctor Strange in the MCU, just because I feel like he is I'm thinking after David Tennant, I think is when he was clearly probably slightly approached for it because he was working with Moffat on Sherlock and all that sort of stuff but I think I've seen in interviews where he says it's not his type of thing, where he mentioned he didn't want his face on lunchboxes, and I don't think he liked the brand. Obviously, he's now Doctor Strange, so that's changed a little bit, but perhaps if they ever did a movie, it would be good to see him in that. As in if he was like the Peter Cushing equivalent. 
<laughs> yeah, that would be good. Yeah, yeah, maybe have the, the yeah because he looks a bit like a young Peter Cushion in some ways, I guess. Hmm, that's interesting. Never thought of it like that. If it was like a non-canonical reinterpretation of Doctor Who, like maybe an American film, and it was Benedict Cumberbatch playing it, that would be very weird, but kind of cool as a thought piece. Yeah. Um, here we are. I'm just yeah. digging up Cumberbatch's quote here. But yeah, what do you what do you think? Could you see him in the role? The one thing is, for most Benedict Cumberbatch roles I've seen him in, he's quite intense and quite, there's a real kind of sternness about him. And while he can have kind of moments of humility and humour, those aren't usually brought upon by himself. Like, usually the character he plays has quite a composed, serious demeanour. And while there's certainly an element of that in the Doctor, I feel like the Doctor needs some sort of lightness, some sort of quirkiness, some kind of heart that's a bit more apparent. Yeah. And that's the one thing I can question whether or not he'd fit the bill quite for the Doctor. Yeah. I'm just reading from the Metro here. It says, new Sherlock... This was obviously an article from quite a while ago, 2010. Um, new Sherlock Holmes star Benedict Cumberbatch has revealed that he was offered the role of Doctor Who before Matt Smith, but turned it down. Cumberbatch, who instead took the role as Holmes, seems to have made the right decision after the BBC series drew 7.5 million viewers on Sunday night. The 34-year-old actor said that... So now 44, uh, 45 even, said he was considered he was considered to, to replace David Tennant as a Time Lord and said, David and I talked about it, but I thought it would have been too radically different. Um... And anyway, I didn't like the whole package being on school lunchboxes, um, he told the son. So, yeah, I suppose that's not really something I ever really think about, is when you take up the role of Doctor Who, you're not only just an actor like you are a Sherlock, but you're sort of an ambassador for this family programme. Yeah, and then the thing is, like, your face will forever most likely be associated before anything else with that role. Like, even actors like... David Tennant and Matt Smith, who have gone on to arguably like bigger things than Doctor Who, um, they're still very much, if you look them up, the first thing you'll probably see in their bios for anything is they are best known for playing the Doctor in Doctor yeah, Who. Yeah, I'm just having a look now at Matt Smith's Wikipedia. Oh, sorry, Matt Smith's Wiki. Um, let's see what he does. Literally, it's the first, first line. Matthew Robert Smith um, is an English actor who's best known for playing the 11th incarnation of the Doctor in the BBC series Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. And you, yeah. I'm bet he is the exact same thing for David Tennant, not to mention, you know, Capaldi, Jody, Chris, Tom Baker, definitely. Like, Tom Baker, just his entire public image is so closely associated with the Doctor. Yeah. Shall I read you David Tennant's? Yeah. David John Tennant is a Scottish actor. He's best known for the role of the 10th incarnation of Doctor in the BBC sci-fi series Doctor Who. It's going to be the exact same for every actor who's played the Doctor. Uh, there's got to be one. There's got to be one. And I'm only doing New Who, so let's go to Peter. John Hurt, John Hurt, maybe. Oh, yeah, John Hurt. Yeah, definitely won't be on John Hurt's. <laughs> it's Peter Capaldi. Um, Peter, where is it? Peter Capaldi uh, is a Scottish actor, director, singer and writer. He portrayed the 12th incarnation of the Doctor in the Doctor in Doctor Who 2013-2017 and Malcolm Tucker in the thick of it. Oh, oh, he's got joint billing with 
Malcolm Tucker. That's yeah, not yeah. Not um, back over to you then, Harry. Who do you have next? Next up is someone who was said to be the producer's choice for the third Doctor, which is Ron Moody. You know who Ron Moody is? I don't know. I will have a Google whilst you uh, tell me. What if I say... In this life, one thing counts in the bank. Oh, he's Fagin. Yeah, he, he was Fagin from Oliver. Yeah, oh, that's the cool. I'm just looking now at Google Image because sometimes I need to have a mental image of this person. But sorry, go on, yeah. Yeah, I actually think that Ron Moody would have been an excellent choice for the, the Doctor. Yeah. I think he has everything that you need, you know? He's... He's fun, he's energetic, he's got a real personality to him mm. and a real presence. Obviously, he appeals to he's got appeals to children, you know, um, and he works well with children in Oliver. So all that kind of publics stuff, um, like events and such, he could excelled at that. Yeah. I think one would be a brilliant actor to play the doctor. Yeah, I think that would have been really fun. There hasn't really been, I'm mainly thinking New Who here, there hasn't been an actor who has had much musical background, apart from Peter Capaldi, obviously, but I'm talking like musical, like up on stage, dancing around, that yeah, sort of like stuff. Musical, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's usually to think about. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I'm an expert at musical theatre actors. Uh, the musical theatre scene isn't something I've engaged with until relatively recently. Yeah. Yeah. But it would be a good fit, I imagine. I feel like a lot of the things you, that's required for musical theatre would also translate very well to a role such as The Doctor. Yeah, that would be an interesting choice. I like that you're going through the classic ones because I've only really thought about New Who, but um, I like that you're doing that. That's really cool. Um, do you want me to come back at you with one of my suggestions? Absolutely. Okay, so I feel this one would have been a really good alternative ninth Doctor or somebody who would have fallen after McGann if that had carried on. And that is Robert Carlyle. Okay. So I'm talking um, sort of mid to late 90s Robert Carlyle, that sort of full Monty era. Um, I feel like he's got Mm. that sort of Christopher Eccleston groundedness of acting, that sort of comedy drama sort of element to him oh same way i don't have this person on my list but just pops into my mind now um alan davis as well who plays jonathan creek he would be mm. a good choice as well but so I'll, um yeah robert carlisle is one i want to talk about because i feel like he's great and i did recently watch four monty for the first time over lockdown and he wears a leather jacket and i can't help but look at him and go you're 100 percent would have been or probably still is i'm not really sure what carlisle does now um, would have been a fantastic choice for the Doctor at that era. Mm. Yeah, I'd be surprised um, if he wasn't at least kind of in the running. Well, I've got a thing here. It says, uh, this is from 2008 when David was stepping down. It says, uh, this is a quote from Robert. It says, this has followed me for two years, but no one has ever approached me about it. And I never wanted to talk about it because you can't talk about another actor's parts. Um, I would treat it with respect and regard it properly. But I would have to approach. But I would have to be approached about it first. Um, so it seems like uh, a lot of my work is with children, and there's a reason for that because I because they really level you. They are they are very good at just waking up, saying their lines, then going out to play. Whereas actors are sitting there and um, thinking about it too much. 
Um, is there another quote I can go back and find? Um, but yeah, I think he clearly would have wanted to do it at that time. That would have been amazing. It's yeah. very rare that you have an actor come out and say, I want to do this role, someone please approach me about it, rather than just, um, oh, well, if I get it, it'll be fun, and oh, you have to wait and see. But this is someone going, I haven't been approached. Someone approached me, I want to do this role. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, maybe that's just not the etiquette in the industry. I don't know, maybe it should be. <laughs> so what's what you, what's your if you if obviously I know you would quite like to be Doctor Who as an actor. So what would you all I go mean, to? What, okay, okay. It when you say that in isolation, it <laughs> it sounds a bit you know. Oh yeah, we're talking about all these great acclaimed British actors, and then me coming along and saying, "Oh yeah, yeah, I reckon I could play the Doctor." Like, I don't think there is a single um, young actor in this country who hasn't at some point thought to themselves yeah i'd like to play the doctor yeah especially now since jody's casting it's really it's a role as anyone in this country could play yeah so i I feel like it's not just me okay and i've had conversations with lots of people both you know studying drama studying to be actors I'm definitely not the only one who's said at some point, I reckon I could play the doctor. <laughs> Nowadays, I'm less sure, actually. Someone actually said to me the other day, you can't see, but I have this beard. Um, they said I was giving off real um, Delgado vibes. Yeah, yeah, I did think that when I, when I asked you and I put Zoom back on, I saw you said I was like, oh, but um, yeah. Um, back to you, Harry, who do you have on your list? Or who's next for you? Next up, this is, this is an interesting one. Um, they've not passed, but they definitely could not play the Doctor now. And that's because um, one of the actors considered to play the fourth Doctor was Bernard Cribbins. Oh, yes. Oh, well, there's many layers you can talk about that. (laughs) Hmm. What do you think of... I think Bernard Cribbins would have been... would have brought a lot to the role. I am just looking to Um, see what... Bernard Crimmins will look like in the late 1970s. But, um, yeah, he's great comedic. And I won't lie, I really only know him as Wilf. Um, But from what he gives in that performance, there's a lot of of, uh, emotion behind that character. Yeah, I'm just looking at him here. Yeah, he looks great. He doesn't necessarily look doctory, though. What do you think doctory looks like? I'm not sure. I'm looking at a picture of him here from the Railway Children, which is in 1970. Um, and I don't know. There's something about him that's just maybe too blokey. Okay. You feel the Doctor can't be a bloke? Not really. This guy's maybe... What about Christopher Reckleson? Isn't Chris Reckleson a bit of a bloke? He is, he is. But I'm sort of... I suppose I'm picturing it as if you took Tom Baker out and you put this guy in. Okay. Which maybe isn't the best way to go, but I don't know. I'm sort of looking at this picture and I can see it a little bit, but I would also maybe feel it maybe a bit too similar to Pertwee. Do you think that the Doctor can't be just someone too normal upon first glance? Um, You think you need to look at the Doctor and think that something... Sorry, go on. Uh, Do you need to... Does the doctor does the doctor have you an actor where you see them and you think, ooh, there's something more about them than most I've, people? 
Yeah, I think I think if you look at Matt Smith, he's young, but he's got those old he's got old man eyes. And Peter Capaldi, yeah. he's, he's got that sort of aged look about him, but still he, there's something deep inside. Whereas the pictures I've just seen of Bernard Cribbins, he looks like a guy who's an actor. Mm. Interesting. So I'm not really, interesting. Yeah. What do you think about that? It's an interesting thought. I mean, there are certainly there are actors like Smith, Capaldi, um, Eccleston, like how you see them, and there is something a bit not completely conventional about how they appear. But then you see someone like, you know, um, David Tennant or Jodie Whittaker, and they're, for the most part, they're quite conventionally attractive young people who look like actors. Yeah. So it's a hard call to make. It's a hard call to make. It's an interesting thought piece. Uh, I'm just looking here. An interview with Ben Cruz from 2008. Uh, when John Pertwee was leaving, I went to be interviewed with a view to perhaps playing Doctor Who. I would have loved to have done it, I must say. We concluded the interview and I went home and I didn't get the job. Obviously, Tom Baker got it. Uh, so, yeah, you clearly auditioned and did a whatever for it, but um, just didn't work out. Hmm, for the better, though, I, I would say, because then you've got Wilf, who's an amazing character. Absolutely. And, of yeah. course, we've got Tom Baker, who is one of the most <laughs> iconic, if not the most iconic depiction of the role to this day. Exactly, exactly. Um, I'm looking here at my list. And I've got a few more suggestions. And what I'm going to go for is one that's been thrown up by uh, cast member Billy Piper. And we've spoke about in the past. It's just way too big of a name. But I sort of feel like if they were ever going to do like a one-off movie, completely set out of canon, one-off, that's it. Um, Helena Bonacarta. Interesting, interesting. Um, Mainly because I look at her and I think you can play literally anything. Um... She's nuts. She's quirky. She does drama very well, as we've seen in The Crown. Um, she was nominated for a BAFTA last night as well. Did you watch the BAFTAs, Harry? I didn't watch the BAFTAs, no. It was pretty good, yeah. She was nominated for uh, her role in The Crown. Um, but yeah, I just think she's great. And she's a very... Uh, she's an actress who... Uh, or actor, depending on where you're from, uh, who dis- can disguise herself very well, despite having a very recognisable face. I... Like there's certain actors where I look at them and I go, "Oh, you're Johnny Depp, or you're Pierce Brosnan, or you're Daniel Craig." But I look at Helen Bonacarta and I go, "Yeah, you're Helen Bonacarta, but I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing your character from Fight. I'm seeing Marla from Fight Club, and I'm seeing, you know, all these other roles that she's played. I'm seeing the Queen from (laughs) Alice in Wonderland. Do you know what I mean?" That's interesting that you think of her as a very transformative actress because for me, it's the opposite, but not in a bad way. For me, Helen Bonham Carter has a type, a very niche specific type that she plays and she plays it extraordinarily well in most of the things I've seen, which admittedly is primarily Tim Burton films, so maybe that's the thing that's influencing my perception. Yeah. But to me, like... That could either mean that Helena would be perfect for the role of the Doctor because the Doctor is a role that so many actors bring so much of themselves to. And obviously what Helena has to bring is brilliant to watch. So perhaps that would work really well. On the flip side, because she is already such a huge name, I don't know if I would be able to watch it without thinking Helen Carter. But then I say that, but maybe you could say the same for every actor who plays the Doctor. Like, the... 
we refer to most incarnations of the Doctor either by the number of their incarnation or just by the actor who plays them. Yeah. So maybe the Doctor is kind of a role where being aware of the actor playing them isn't actually a detriment. Yeah, perhaps. If you look at Capaldi, he was known before um, Doctor Who. And Whitaker as well. They were two actors who I saw, Whitaker more, but two people who I was aware of before they took on the role of Doctor Who. And I didn't watch it going, that's such and such, that's such and such. I was like, oh, yeah, they're playing the Doctor. So I imagine, despite having a recognisable face, you just fall into that role really well. Mm, yeah, no, I think I've come around. I started off disagreeing with you, but then I talked myself into agreeing with you. <laughs> I noticed you disagreeing because there was a delayed silence after <laughs> I said the name. You just went, hmm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So who, who's up for you? Who have you got? Next up is an actor who's considered the fifth Doctor, um, which is Richard Griffith. Okay, Richard, That's I recognise the name. I oh, yeah, no longer with us, Richard Griffiths, yeah. Yeah, and he was in the History Boys, was he? I um, think so. Uh, yes, he was, yes. Yeah. What do you think of that? I don't know about that one. <laughs> I... It's not a name I would immediately think the Doctor for, but maybe that's because I'm only aware of his kind of work post the 2000s. Was he in Harry Potter? He was. He was Uncle Dursley. He was, yeah. I'm not a big Harry Potter fan, but I was looking at him and I was like, oh, I do recognise him. I feel... Yeah, he's the one who like is like, there's no such thing as magic on yeah. Harry's um, door. Yeah. I feel as if yeah. this was... People liked Tom Baker. Let's try and do that again. Okay. Especially with okay. the, the, the way he looks. I'm not too familiar with his acting, but I'm looking at the way he looks, and it's definitely a uh, Baker-esque look about him. You know, that sort of larger gentleman, mm-hmm. jolliness, quirkiness, but also looks like they've got a, a very serious side to them as well. Yeah. I've not got any evidence for this, but I also heard that kind of, Post Baker was one of the first times when they considered casting a woman in the role of the Doctor. Oh yeah, no, I've heard this as well. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I think that would have been pretty cool to see, especially because they'd introduced uh, Romana by that point, hadn't they? Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm just looking here at TARDIS Wiki. Am I on TARDIS Wiki? Uh, I'm on something. What if Doctor Who wasn't Axe fandom? Um, Richard Griffiths uh, played the eighth Doctor between 1990 and 1995, beginning with an appearance at the conclusion of Blood and Iron, I will open that in a new tab, and concluding with Hearted uh, Hatred of the Daleks. Griffiths, like many other Doctors, reprised the role again in 2003 for Series 40 story, The Socialist Step and the First Step Doctor Who motion picture. What is this? Is this this sounds like some kind of like fan fiction wiki about like a fictional like a wiki a TARDIS wiki in the alternate universe in which the Doctor Who was never cancelled. Uh, I just called the show the Doctor Who, which is completely wrong. <laughs> Blood and Iron is the fourth and final serial of the se- serial of season twenty seven of Doctor Who. It's re- what is the? I- it sounds like a fan fiction wiki, Tim. Like a fictional wiki of a that is bizarre 
This is weird. Who's got this so much effort on here, though? Griffiths briefly reprised his role of the Eighth Doctor in two short segments filmed for the Nine Faces of Doctor Who. The Nine Faces of Doctor Who. This is weird, man. <laughs> I don't know what I've found. A whole wiki about what if, like, an alternative Doctor Who canon. Bizarre. That's crazy. That is very weird. I don't know if I like that. Um, let's go away from that. Uh, shall I come at you with one of my suggestions, Harry? Absolutely. Now, this is a, a suggestion um, that I think I've I've been very vocal about, and I've told you about many times. That unfortunately will never happen. But I often think of how amazing it would have been if the legendary David Bowie had played any incarnation of the Doctor. I mean, that role is everything David Bowie <laughs> represented. Uh, a madman... I feel like... Sorry, go on. No, so you continue. I was going to say, this madman in space and mythical uh, background and friendship and love and aliens. And the show is very Bowie-esque, I feel like. You look at Capaldi, you can't not see that he's drawn inspiration from Bowie in some capacity. And I just think... There is so much stuff about where I look at it and I go, oh, I just want to copy and paste you into the TARDIS. <laughs> I feel like Bowie could have literally at any point during his life played the Doctor. <laughs> he could have, yeah. There's no like definitive Bowie. It's not like, oh, when he was Aladdin Sane or the Finn White Jews, like, that's the Doctor. It's like any point of David Bowie's tenure as a musician or actor could have just been Doctor Who. The thing I'm wondering is, if Bowie had played the character as the Doctor, would he have then adopted the character of the Doctor as kind of one of his characters for his music, and then started creating slimly to like Aladdin Zane, like music as the Doctor? Would that have been something that happened? That would have been very, very interesting if they had done that. Um, I'm not sure. It would have been interesting. Um, what's this I've found here? Obviously, whenever we throw up a suggestion, I Google it. I Google that person's name and put Doctor at the end. Um, and I've got, yes, the 11th Doctor comic series from Titan uh, made David Bowie into a companion, or rather called a thinly veiled version of himself. John Jones, based on Bowie's birth name, David Jones, was an alien with um, chameleon, chameleic powers who brought pop sensation to Earth in the 1960s. Ring any bells? Um, and there's a little doodle here of a cartoon David Bowie saying, come from the television, riding your blue... I'm not going to do my Bowie impression. Riding your box of blue made you really want to rule the world. So, yeah. He has been immortalised in Doctor Who in some way. Love to hear it. <laughs> Back to you, Harry. Who do you have next? There is a big list of actors who auditioned for the Eighth Doctor. Eighth um, Doctor. The oh, so are you skipping? Which... Is there nobody else for Six and Seven? Um, the Sixth Doctor, Colin Baker was the first choice. Uh, for the Seventh Doctor, there's no one. The only people who stand out are uh, the likes of um, Joanna Lumley but okay. because of Curse of Fatal Death. Oh, actually, Dawn French. That's an interesting one. That's interesting. That still gets thrown up now and again. Was Vicar of Dibley already on TV when we got the Seventh Doctor? Seventh Doctor. Well, Castle Fatal Death was after the Seventh Doctor, but... um... Yeah, because 
it mentions Joel only right after going French. Uh, okay, so Seventh Doctor uh was the nineteen eighteen. Nineteen eighty nine was his last appearance. So no, I don't think we had Vicar of Dibley. Okay. So imagine if instead of getting Vicar of Dibley, we got Dawn French as the doctor. I wouldn't take that trade. <laughs> no, I like Vicar of Dibley. I have not watched much Vicar of Dibley, but I've watched I really enjoyed. So I, I feel like I don't want to lose that. Vicar and Dibley was the first program I binged to watch all through lockdown. Like the start of lockdown, I watched every Vicar Dib. Like went fully into it. Watched every episode of Netflix. Then went and like went, went and watched like all the comic relief specials. And like I need to put it all together. Like that sort of impulsive like start of lockdown. Like I'll just ignore the outside world and just live in Dibley for a little while. <laughs> that was nice. But uh, the Eighth Doctor, who's on that list? Because I know there's a fair few names on that list. Yeah. There's a big one. There's two that stand out to me. Um, I'm going to go for the second one because the first name that stand out to me will open a whole can of worms. Okay. Um, the second one that stands out to me is uh, that Billy Connolly was considered for the part. Now I can do a Billy Connolly impression. <clears throat> can you? Hey, it's uh, Billy Connolly. Ta-da. I mean, it's not the worst. <laughs> yeah, there's a gesture to the concept of Billy Connolly in there. <laughs> Go on. Uh, I don't see that myself, um, mainly because I'm not a massive fan of Billy Connolly, and I know that's controversial to say as an Englishman, but uh, I just don't. I, I don't find him particularly funny. I like him in that film with David Tennant, and where he's on his holiday and he well, dies. We did our, our holiday. Yeah, that that's a good called. film. That is a very good film. The but, thing um, that I'm thinking is what was that, sorry? Billy Connolly, his stunt. But hmm? I didn't catch what you said. Sorry. The thing that I'm thinking is Billy Connolly, his kind of stand-up routines are always very well known for being very like he didn't have a set kind of routine. I do. He just kind of meander about, and eventually he'd have the same starting point, the final, and the same final destination. But the journey he got to it each night was always completely different yeah um i wonder working on doctor who would he have stuck to the script or would he have had room to have that kind of improvisational journey in each scene i'm not sure i don't see it we have got doctor who meets curb your enthusiasm (laughs) is what i'm asking I don't necessarily know if it would work, but what was the other name on that list that you were going to say yeah. that throughout would have opened a can of worms? This is one of the actors who auditioned for the part was the Monty Python Eric Idle. Now, I want to take just a break to kind of discuss the Monty Python, all of them, because I feel like there are a lot of contenders for the Doctor in there. Yeah, they all would have been great. I again, I'm not a big Monty Python fan, but I tend to like their work individually. Um, Eric Idle would have been an amazing doctor. Yeah, I agree. I'm just doing a quick like, gooks here, but you tell me what you think. I, mean, I think you know Eric Idle, incredibly bright, a fun performer, um, very, very charming. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Say no more. Um, I think he would have brought great energy to the role yeah i think i I, although i'm more intrigued by considering other monty python actors of the time 
because um, there are some of those that make me go, ooh, hmm, interesting. Who would that be? John Cleese? John Cleese is the one where I feel like he's got too much of a leading man presence. Yeah. Like too much of a conventional leading man, of too much of a leading kind of straight man kind of thing going on for him to be the doctor. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Um, Although, I don't know. I think mm-hmm. they've all got certain quirkiness about them, and especially if you look at Michael Palin as well, that would be great. I was about to say, I mean, I adore Michael Palin. He's my favourite of the Pythons. I think Michael Palin would have been outstanding as a doctor. Yeah. It's like, I know Michael Palin more for his travel stuff now, more than anything, but he has done some big finished work, which is great, and I'm not sure to what depth. I'm just having a quick look, but... um. Oh, he appeared in some Torchwood stuff, apparently. But, um, yeah, why not? It's great. Every All those guys are British comedy legends, so they're going to be great at Doctor Who. Isn't it? They say people who tend to go from... If you go from comedy to drama, it's an easy transition from going to drama to comedy. That's what I've heard, yeah. Yeah. Although Doctor Who has never been wholly drama. It's done by the drama department, but there is always an element of something a bit off kilter, you know? Yeah. Terry Jones um, as well, the late, great Terry Jones. I think he would have been fantastic as the Doctor. Oh, really well. Sorry, Harry, I've just dropped some. I'm just getting it. <laughs> I'm grabbing it. Also, Go on. what if, what if, uh, you know the Python, do you know, do you know what I mean when I say the Python pepper pot? I have no idea what you mean when you say those words. Okay, the pepper pot was a character all the Pythons played, but was invented by Terry Jones, which is whenever they, any of them plays a woman, they always wear like a huge dress. Hey, all talk like this! Yeah. You, like, say, Brian's mum from Life of Brian. Okay. What if the first female doctor was Terry Jones as a pepper pot? I don't know if that would have aged well. <laughs> Life of Brian aged fine. I yeah, think. It, it aged uh, fine, but then to maybe do a full series of it. Oh, is he saying you're saying that my? Are you saying that my hilarious idea of Terry Jones as a pepper pot doctor is only funny enough to sustain one series? Okay, I'll, I will counter that argument with my argument of: Would you want to see a full Doctor Who series with David Williams dressed up as a woman? But Terry, I, I'm going to argue that <laughs> No, Terry no, Jones yes or no. Would you like pot. to see that? Terry Jones as a pepper pot is much funnier than David Williams. In, I'm, 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 that's my take. I think these are different leagues of comedy here. <laughs> no, we definitely are. <laughs> to, to even say David Williams is in comedy is a, is a big stretch. Anyway, uh, let's go back to me There's and my suggestion. books are good. Yeah, I'm sure they are for kids um, who have no standards. Um, I really liked his children's books growing up. Okay. Roger Lloyd Pack is my suggestion, a name you might not recognise, but is um, Trigger in Only Fools and Horses. Um, Okay. uh, An amazing comedy actor, um, also from Vicar of Dibley as well as Owen the Farmer um, in that series as well. 
I just could see him in the role and I think he would suit that part really well. It gets harder and harder as we go through this list to come up with more reasons why different actors should play this part because you can't really put your finger on it. They just look the part and you could see them doing it. My interior check is, can I see them posing in like a cool quirky suit? Yes. And are they looking cool leaning across a TARDIS console? Yes. And I just see that working pretty well for Roger Lloyd Pack. But unfortunately, no longer with us, and that will never happen. Why but is it? Dot Two, he was the cyber controller. He was um, John Lumick. Can I ask, why do you specify that they look cool on the TARDIS? Because, like, someone like Patrick Troughton, I wouldn't say they had anything particularly cool about their aesthetic or their yeah, TARDIS. Maybe not cool, but just they, they, they look good in that environment. They don't look out of place. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's my sort of rundown for that, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Um, Any more for you? Any more for you? What You were on eight before, so ninth Doctor. This should be interesting. Was it ninth Doctor? Uh, the one that stands out... There are a couple that stand out here. Um, first of all, um, Martin Clunes. I think oh, that interesting. I don't... It would have been very different to Chris. Yeah, it would have. Um, go on. <laughs> it would be very different to Chris, but, you know, he ended up playing... What's the name of the doctor he played in that TV show? Was it... Doc Martin. Doc Martin. Oh, wait, it was named after him? I don't know. I think it's his production company that do Maybe. it. Oh. You know, he has the capacity to play a doctor, so why could he not play... The, the last, this is a weak argument. I just think Mike Clunes has it in him. I feel like he's an interesting enough performer to watch to be able to play the Doctor. Perhaps, perhaps, yeah. I'm not sure. Maybe in his younger days, maybe when he was doing. I've got connective tissue. Sorry, I've got, I've got. This is this is definitive proof. Okay, um, you might have noticed that I've gone off the rails. I kind of went off the rails when we got to Terry Jones, um, but I'm staying off the rails. Um, Mike Clunes was in Nativity 3. You know who was in Nativity 2? David Tennant. David, there you go. What more evidence do you need, Tim? What more evidence do you need? Shall I, shall I counter uh, encourage you there by saying, do you know who he starred alongside in Nativity 3? Um, what was his name? Mr. Mr. Poppy? No, I'm talking about who his uh, fictitious wife is in is in in that film. Who? Catherine Tate. What? What more do you need? What more do you need? Those what more do you need, films, Tim? Those first two are great. The second one not as good. David Tennant saves it. That first nativity film with Martin Freeman. Is amazing. It's one of my favorite Christmas, like my own now Christmas tradition to watch that film. Um, I haven't seen the Timothy Four. I don't intend to, but uh, no, you... it's my approach on Martin Clunes. I don't see it. I'm afraid, Harry. Did you hear about the uh, Nativity West End Rocks. show? Yeah, Nativity yeah, Rocks. I think it's called West End. Yeah, it had like I think Rylan and Sharon Osbourne in it. He got that got adapted into a movie as well in 2018. Or oh, it was a movie and now it's a West End show. Oh, I did not know that bit. Yeah, Mal, the, the movie t- stars t- Hugh the Dennis. The franchise is much... 
Yeah, Hugh Dennis. And Mr. Poppy isn't in that one, but his brother is, or his cousin or something. The Nativity franchise is so much bigger than I realised. <laughs> it's it's It brings in enough money for how cheap I think it is to make. Are they cheap to make the Nativity films? I imagine so. Mm. Yeah, they must be. Nativity I've, 4 I've has Craig seen... Revel Hallwood in it from Strictly Come Dancing. There's a Nativity 4? Yeah, Nativity Rocks, that's what it is. It's called Nativity Rocks. Oh, it's called... I... I've only seen Nativity 1, I have to be honest. Nativity 2 is good. Nativity 3, nope. And Nativity 4, I have not seen. I imagine it's very much the same thing. You kind of notice that kind of like... With each nativity film, they have to get an actor that's kind of like a. In terms of like how successful they are, it's always just a little bit below the last one. Yeah, I feel like they sort of, <laughs> like I imagine David Tennant and Martin Freeman get put up for roles that are quite similar. I, I guess, I don't know. I don't, in my mind they're quite different. Yeah, but I they're like the sort of same Freeman. ballpark of sort of. Television. I feel like Martin Freeman is much more of an everyman than David Tennant is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. David yeah. Tennant's more of like like a a more romantic kind of casting. Yeah. Okay. Shall I go for a, yeah. another option for uh, from yours truly? Um, pick a number, Harry, between one and three. Um. Seven. Between one and three. I thought you said one in ten. <laughs> Pick a number between one and three. Um, two. Two. Okay. The second one now is Hugh Laurie. Interesting. I think that could have worked. Yeah. I wrote it down. I can't remember why. I think after house, is it because of House. House and a bit of Blackadder. I feel he's very comedic. Um, the other one on my list is also Rowan Atkinson for those same reasons. They can do drama very well and they can do comedy very well. They're very strong British identity people. You know, they're they're British actors. They're sort of known for being a British actor, despite going to America and putting on an American accent and going and doing the whole doctory thing. Um, I don't know if I I can see. Hugh Laurie. I don't know if I can see Rowan Atkinson as the Doctor in all honesty. I'm not sure why that is. Yeah, I like him in Curse of Fatal Death and I think he could do it now after that ITV drama Make Rave, I think it was called. But I spoke to a couple of people about this and they all said they wouldn't be able to not see Rowan Atkinson. I, it's not even that it's the obstacle of not seeing Rowan Atkinson. I know it's something about his... I don't know. For me, like the, it doesn't quite fit into the Ron Atkinson shape. Does not fit into the Doctor hole. Ooh. I don't know why that is. Psychologists can read into that as much as they dare wish. But Harry, who do you have? Alternative castings for the tenth Doctor. I've only got one more left, so let's get a, a tenth Doctor out of you. I can't do a tenth Doctor because I think the tenth Doctor went straight to David Tennant. I think he was Russell's first choice. That's true. Yeah. And so uh, there's another one for the Ninth Doctor, Judy Dench. Judy Dench, Judy Dench. Uh, that's a strange one. <laughs> well, I I just assumed that 
Jude Dench was too big. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, too much of a big star yeah. to do it. And perhaps, dare I say it, on the ageing side, not to you know be ageist or anything, but I feel like there would have been a prime time for Judy to be uh, Doctor Who. But I feel like that might have slipped by by 2005. I mean, I'll admit I've not seen... I've seen far from all Judy Dench's um, filmography, but my perception of her is that she plays very dignified characters. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like maybe a bit more humility would need to be on show for a role such as the Doctor. Maybe she could have done it as the Queen. The Queen... Judy Dench as the Queen as the Ninth Doctor. But it's Christopher Eccleston's Ninth Doctor. So, so like she'd be wearing like, a, like she'd be wearing like a royal gown and a crown underneath a leather jacket. That's true. Did she? Who who played the Queen in the movie The Queen? Was it Judy Dench? I, I'm sure Judy Dench has played the Queen, a Queen, at some point. I think did she not play Queen Elizabeth the First in Shakespeare in Love or something like that? Yeah, and I think she's played Queen Victoria as well. Who played the Queen in the movie The Queen? Oh, Helen Mirren. Oh, her name gets thrown around a lot as well. I feel Helen Mirren would be a better choice than Judy Dench. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. There's a lot of people in this who would have made good Doctors. Michael Sheen, he's on here. Uh, who else do we have who appeared in The Queen? That's it. I spoke too soon. But um, oh, Elton John, amazing. He would have been great. <laughs> um, my well, last absolutely. one I have here, and I feel this person could have played this role a long time ago and could still play it now. Uh, again, I'm thinking in a movie. Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman's American, right? Is he? <laughs> <laughs> I can. I'm like, I could be wrong. Gary Oldman. I'm pretty sure he's British, isn't he? I thought he was, he was born in London. Oh, I've only seen him in movies where he has an American accent. He's an English actor and filmmaker. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm rock calling me surprised. What do you think of that casting? I I can't see it. I'm not saying <gasps> it's impossible. How can you not see it? It's because um, I've got sun cream in my eyes. <laughs> oh, that's the horrible side effects of sun cream is it repels Gary Oldman. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine Gary Oldman's name must have been thrown around for the 50th as a John Hurt type character. Yeah, surely, yeah. Must have been. Um, oh, yeah, I think that. he would have been great. Because he, he, to me, he looks very doctory with his glasses and his hair. Yeah, but that's. Right, so let's, let's take a moment to talk about uh, that because I could go on and talk about how Russell Tovey auditioned for the album with Doctor, or like I could talk about Chris Marshall, yada yada yada. But let's actually talk about casting for the War Doctor, where Russell, where Moffat wanted to uh, cast, um, in his words, the most famous actor in the world. Yeah. 
Now, thinking along the lines of John Hurt, perhaps an older British actor, very acclaimed, um, known throughout the world. You can think of a lot, you know? You could have gone with, like, say, Ian McKellen or, like, Mark Rylance or something. Yeah, those would have been good, yeah. Um, I'm just looking on a list here. You're more actory than I am, so you'll have more names. But you, you talk for a bit whilst I have a look online. Um, I mean, I, 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 those are the first two I mentioned just because, I know, they're very prominent in... Obviously, Ian McKellen is doing that Hamlet production right now. Yeah. So if, if you know if you can play Hamlet at his age, like he can play the Doctor, I guess. That's Although true. That's a question of whether or not. That's a question of whether or not Ian McKellen can play Hamlet at his age. I don't know. I've not seen any reviews for the show. I don't think it's started yet. No, um, I, 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 I think it's I, actually. It sounds good though. Um, I'm looking online at people, perhaps like Timothy Dalton, but he was already Rassalong. Yeah. Yeah. Did I'm you hear about the, uh, the Hot Fuzz Timothy Dalton story? <laughs> um, in which that people, when they were filming Hot Fuzz, like, this is an interview Simon Pegg did with Adam Buxton on his podcast, and he was saying that like, one of the most annoying things is when people, when parents send their kids up to celebrities and say, oh, my mum's a big fan, because they're not going to say no to kids. And apparently these kids came up to, Timothy Dalton was talking with Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright and um, these kids came up to Timothy Dalton and said, are you James Bond? And he went, yes. And they went, oh, my mummy asked you if you could sign this. And he just went, fuck off <laughs> to these kids. And the kids went back to their parents and a parent came up and was like, my kids tell me you've just told them to fuck off. And the Timothy Dalton was like, oh, no, no, sorry. They must have misheard me talking to somebody else. Of course I'll sign this. <laughs> so perhaps Timothy Dalton wouldn't have been the best choice. That's a, that's a story. <laughs> what about Bond actors? What about I'm, I'm Bond just actors? looking. Roger Moore would have been great. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine Sean Connery. I feel like perhaps you can only be the definitive version of one British institution. That's true. Daniel Craig, yeah. no. Sean Connery, no. Pierce Brosnan, no. Roger Moore, yes. Timothy Dawson, possibly. George Lazenby, no. Um, who else do we have? Is that that's really about it, isn't it? Have I missed somebody? I feel that's like all I... Bond actors, isn't it? That's all of them. I feel I thought I was missing someone. Um, but then there's obvious people who are just too big and will never be the doctor, like Tom Hiddleston, and you know, perhaps Ralph Fiennes, he would have been good, maybe. Oh, that would have been an interesting, um, uh, war doctor, especially since Ralph Fiennes is known often for playing perhaps more villainous roles, you know, Voldemort, etc. It would have been interesting to have him as the war doctor, because obviously the war doctor within the context was a doctor that kind of the other doctors were ashamed of. Yeah. Was Alan yeah, Rickman that... around at the time? Yeah, yeah, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman would have been an interesting casting for the yeah. war doctor. I'm just looking here at... Um... John Hurt, you search for John Hurt, other people also search for, and just see what comes up. David Bradley's on here, but obviously the first Doctor, so maybe that wouldn't have worked. Uh, who else have we got here? Uh, Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> That's that interesting. A very interesting wall I mean, Doctor. Hopkins is great. Yeah. 
Have you seen his like TikToks or whatever he does with his daughter? I've heard of them. I don't have TikTok, so I've not seen them firsthand. I will try and send some over to you. But any more suggestions on that list, Harry? Any uh, interesting 11th Doctor, 12th Doctor, 13th Doctor that aren't um, Russell Turvey? Uh, not that I can see. Um, no. Apparently, um, Boris Karloff was approached to play the Doctor in a radio series in the 60s. There is lots of Doctor Who stage plays that have cast other actors as a Doctor, and we should probably deep dive into those at some point, but not for now. For now, Harry, I feel we've exhausted this topic for a week. Um, (laughs) So why don't we um, introduce this week's watch-along, which is called What, Harry? Um, oh, I mean, this one is both a very easy transition and a very hard transition. It just depends how roundabout I want to be. Um, honestly, um, it's hard to focus because of the aforementioned sun cream that's in my eyes. Um, I'm trying to get it out. Um, someone said that a good way is to just kind of get out through tears and the best way to get generate tears is just to continue to blink oh yeah we're doing blink aren't we yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's because behind the scenes guys we record these early um, the watch along segments I and mean, we've recently just recorded some episodes for series 4 and I was like Harry has really lost it he's really far behind this week <laughs> I've been, I've lost it since Terry Jones. I lost it when I said Terry Jones could play a pepper pot doctor. <laughs> so uh, that's it, everybody. It's Blink. Thanks for listening to this far into the episode. Um, Harry, do you have anything you want to say to anybody at all? I ironically think this is one of the best segments we've ever done. I've enjoyed it because it was actually me. I was the fool this week. Uh, um, we'll talk to you later. Some jingles and then we'll be back. Shut up. Shut up. Podcast scans detect you are not subscribed. The Daleks order you to subscribe. Resistance is futile. Failure to subscribe will lead to extermination. Seek, locate, subscribe. What's the point in having you all? Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Watch Along segment of Bigger on the Inside. Uh, uh, Harry, you're still here. You haven't left yet. How are you? No, I haven't. Yeah, I'm still here from a few seconds ago when we did the news. Unless one of us wasn't there this week, because these are pre-recorded. Yeah, maybe I was. I might have been Harrison. <laughs> you might have been. Yeah, I wonder who I would have been if I wasn't here. Who would I've been? I probably would have been you. Me and Harrison crossing over, that would never happen. That would never happen. Um, hello, everybody. Welcome back. We're here to do... Uh, what episode are we here to do, Harry? We are doing Blink by Stephen Moffat. This is his third or fourth entry into New Who, depending on how it, you want to count yeah. uh, The Empty Child and The Doctor Dances. I would sort of count that as one, really. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I count that as well. I kind of judge it by stories as opposed to kind of episodes. Yeah. So out, out of the three that we had, we had 
Redemption Child. Then in Series 2, we had... Um, what did we have in Series 2? The Girl in the Fly Place. Girl in the Fly Place, and now Blink. Out of those three, whereabouts are you ranking Blink? It's a tough one. It's a tough one. Although, I think... Empty Child and the Doctor Dances is kind of, for me, what is kind of the perfect encapsulation of what I like in kind of a typical Doctor Who episode. Yeah. But Blink isn't a typical Doctor Who episode. And yet, it is so, so good. Like, I think some people argue, I think we can't really go on without kind of talking because Blink is just so acclaimed. You know, it won a BAFTA, it won a Hugo Award. Lots of people, lots of people would say this is quite possibly the best Doctor Who story ever. You know? Yeah, I would agree. And yeah. honestly, I mean, after I really watching liked it, it, I won't maybe go that far, but no, I really enjoyed it. I don't know. I after watching it, I could potentially go that far. It's that good. Just how tightly written it is, how carefully plotted, how funny and intense and scary, and how it does so much with so little. Blink's bloody good, man. Cool. Well, come back next week where we're going to do Utopia. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let's break down some of the elements then that that were enjoyable. Let's start with the characters. Let's start with Sally Sparrow, who from the start of this episode, I think it's clear to see, she probably is the very first urban explorer going around abandoned buildings, taking photos, probably has a little blog somewhere where she's posting them. Um, what a really great character. She is. It's great. And kind of Moffat writes her to be just very witty, very sharp, very smart, without it being too in your face. You know, it's not a character who's smart and has to flaunt how smart they are. You can just tell that they're really intuitive. And yeah. then, of course, there's also, um, she's played excellently by Academy Award nominated actress Carrie Mulligan. We're all Academy Award is, is, is Carrie Mulligan like the most Hmm? We're all Academy nominated. I I've been nominated for many awards. I just I think I think they're yeah, but... above me. Oh, I see. But <laughs> like, does this make Carrie Mulligan the most accomplished actor to ever be on Doctor Who? If you don't count Peter Capaldi's Oscar for that short film, uh, possibly so far. I'm trying to think mm. if there has been anybody. Uh... Well, yeah, Olivia, if you so. want to call it, well, Olivia Pol- okay, wait, Olivia Coleman in the Eleventh Hour. Yes, but we haven't got to that bit yet, Harry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, she's a really great character, and her how she sort of bounces off several other key characters in this, um, with uh, Billy, Larry, and Nightingale as well. There's some really great, you know, Moffat's really sort of gone out of his way. I feel to introduce a lot of characters, but all centered around this one main protagonist. I mean, she even acts off well against the Doctor, despite the fact they don't actually properly interact with each other. And they're never in the same room for most of the episode until the end. And yet there is an effective back and forth there. And I don't know if that's just performances or just the way it was edited, but yeah, it works weirdly well. Yeah, it does, yeah. So we first meet her, and she's exploring this abandoned building where we're introduced to the Weeping Angels. Now, when I watched this, I didn't really care that much. I sort of liked it, 
and it's only really recently when I sort of gone back and rewatched it after all the hype that I've sort of understood why people really like this episode. And I think it is the best Weeping Angel story um, that we have in Doctor Who um, because it's quite closed in, it's quite niche. And I think that's what makes it scary. Whereas other ones, the scale is more global. You know, it's in New York and things like that. Whereas this one, it's just a little haunted house trying to get this one woman. And I think that works really well. Yeah, I remember I remember as a kid, like the Weeping Angels at the start, they're a bit creepy, you know, these mysterious kind of crying statues and then they move about a little bit. And it's really cool how kind of they gradually build and build and build without still without showing too much. Like first you see them kind of move a little bit. Uh, then you see them kind of reaching out for things. One then of them you see them kind of like brick. moving from one building to another until... Yeah, and then you get to the climax and you see their face. And like, I remember seeing that as a kid. I was like, oh, Jesus, the teeth and the... <laughs> now, I think the Leaping Angels are probably the most... <laughs> They're probably the most iconic monster to come out of New Who. And honestly, rightfully so. They deserve it. They're so brilliantly conceived. Yeah. And yeah they do so much the, with so little. The top four, I think, are now the Cybermen, the Daleks... Weeping Angels and the Absorbaloff. <laughs> Shout out to Will. Um, Sparrow and Nightingale, they they are such a crime-fighting detective duo from the start. I think they even joke about it, don't they? They say, sounds like an ITV drama yeah, sort do. of thing. I would have quite liked to maybe see more of that friendship because I feel like when Nightingale is zapped back in time... Um, it doesn't have that much of an impact. So maybe if this, we could have had more of a backstory with those two before she zaps off to all, uh, it would have been a bit better. Oh, that's yeah. I'll get outside in a bit. But um, are you suggesting that you would like uh, possibly some side characters from Doctor Who to have a big finish audio adventure, Tim? <laughs> that's never going to happen, though, is it? Not once your Academy Award. No, Carrie Mulligan is far too successful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, speaking of another reason why this is the best. Mm. Sorry, you're saying first. There's a slight delay. It's fine. No, I was was gonna move on to something else. All right, Uh, yeah, I was gonna say. I think I recently heard her in an interview talking about Doctor Who, as she was saying that after the episode went out, she was like, "Oh, I won't be able to get the tube anymore and all this," and she just went out and like nobody like was like, "Oh, it's you from telly last night." (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of taken like. 10 plus years for her to really become huge. Yeah. But, you know, Doctor Who, that's where it all starts. I mean, I don't know if this was like a big break for her or anything. I've not really. I think she did say she would quite like to come back as well. So that'd be interesting. Yeah. It'd be cool to get her back as kind of some kind of like big A list guest star, but returning as Sally Sparrow. If that yeah, was that'd possible. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah. Uh, what did you think then to the inclusion of Hull? Because I feel like, because for those who aren't in the know, me and Harry yeah. from Hull, I'm currently at the University of Hull. Uh, and this is literally probably the only time Doctor Who's ever been mentioned, uh, Hull's ever been mentioned in Doctor Who. Well, I have to say that is an additional reason as for why Blink is the greatest Doctor Who story ever written, because <laughs> it acknowledges Hull. And also, I have a lot of admiration for the fact that the uh, character from Hull pronounces the H. You know, the kind of the, even in Hull, it's kind of like the stereotype is you don't call it Hull, you call it all. Yeah. And yet this guy, he said, you're in Hull. And I like that. I like that. I kind of added this kind of 
weird kind of authenticity to it that I wasn't anticipating. Yeah, because, yeah, I don't know anybody who says all. I know that people say hull. Mm. Well, I, I, don't know, I think when people ask where I'm from now, I used to go really out of my way to sound as unhull as possible when I say it. I was like, I'm from Hull. <laughs> um, but now I think I actually do say, yeah, I'm from Hull. What do yeah, I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so we're also introduced to another character of Larry. Now, as soon as Larry appears, he's a B-Tech Rory, isn't he? Let's be honest. I mean, that's a bit rude to say when we've not even had Rory introduced. Is laying the groundwork for Rory, in <laughs> okay. a sense. Okay, okay. All right, it's better. So what do you think of Larry? I think Larry's great. I love his kind of... I can't say his lore is a Rory. He's kind of got this whole angle with this really kind of... I guess it was a bit nerdy at the time, but it's kind of nerdy now in quite a relatable way because there are so many people, including ourselves, who kind of like to pick things apart and to speculate. I mean, that's what half of this podcast is. Yeah. Half of this podcast is kind of speculating about small tidbits of information and... It's kind of cool that Moffat kind of tapped into kind of early on those kind of internet forums and communities that form around these strange and wonderful things. I mean, maybe in a way that's kind of his own way of homaging the Doctor Who fan community which existed at the time. I'm not mm. sure. Do what do you think that would be now? Do you think it'd be two podcast hosts and they get sucked into like the internet or something? I know they already did that getting stuck in the internet, didn't they? With Clara. She got stuck when in the Wi Fi or something, didn't she? Oh, in the uh, Bells of St. John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot, obviously I might have picked up on this slightly more than yourself, there's a lot of Back to the Future similarities in this. Uh, people getting zapped back in time, and especially leaving letters. Sorry, I love Huey Lewis in the news. Um, leaving letters for people to open in the future, something that... Doctors to Marty. The Doc's alive! Um, sorry, I couldn't resist. Uh, um, with Nightingale leaving a letter for Sally years and years in the past for her to open and see that, you know, she sort of lived this life. One thing I would pick up on that is that characters in this are very quick to sort of accept time travel. They go, oh, she was sent to the past. There's not like, oh, this is a joke. It's like, yeah, yeah, these are well, photos. There's a big bit at the beginning where Sally's like, what is this? This is sick. But it's very quick. She gets over it quite quickly, I feel. I feel like for a 45-minute long runtime, you kind of need to get to the point with these things. You can't dwell on it. I feel like I was willing to accept the fact that she kind of came to terms with this kind of, you know, off-screen. Yeah, okay, yeah. One thing that the episode does deal with a lot is different timelines and time travel, something that we've sort of delved with Moffat in the past, especially with Girl in the Fireplace, with traveling between two yeah. time zones very quickly. Um, you were such a big fan of Girl in the Fireplace and the way that they handled that, so how did you feel about them doing it in here? I feel like you, if you were to watch this episode once, you would maybe benefit from one or two, two times watching it to sort of really understand how it's all working. See, so say that, but here's a weird thing. I remember distinctly watching this episode as a child, and I remember watching a lot of Doctor Who as a child, and for a lot of Doctor Who, I could kind of get the general gist of the plot, you know, there's this bad guy and we have to stop it, but very often I'd get kind of a little confused on particular sci-fi details. Yeah, with this episode, I remember even at seven years old, I could follow it 
perfectly. Like I could understand what was going on super clearly, and never once was I lost. All right, get uh, you. I feel like that's dick. A... <laughs> All those no, it's not. This is this is me. Knowing, oh, I no, this is complex writer of Stephen. No, Murphy. this I is me. Understand. Like <laughs> this is me accrediting Stephen Moffat as a writer that he was able to to present these complex, wibbly wobbly, tiny whiny plot lines in a way that was really clever and yet still accessible to me as a child. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One thing I forgot to mention when we talked about the uh, Weeping Angels is that I don't think they do it in any future episodes of them, but when they're not on camera, you can hear them moving because you can hear their wings fluttering slightly. It's like uh, almost like a bird's wings. You can hear their wings fluttering, and then they look and they're still. But I don't ever recall them doing that in future episodes, but that's such a good little... um, Good little like tease thing there. It's good little off-screen skill that they've got, and there's a lot of them. I feel like the lighting just changes just slightly to implicate that something's moved. Mm, yeah, it's just the way it's edited together is done in such a effective way. Like you said, the sound design, the shots they use, mm. oh, it's just so clever. It's really well directed as well. It's got a very Hitchcockian. Uh, vibe to it I feel especially when mm. Sally is in the police station and she looks across the road and she sees the weeping angels on the side of the building and the camera just very slowly moves into her eyes and she blinks and they've gone um, they do that twice, they do it on Sally and they do it on Billy as well and it's just yeah. great, it's very eerie very vintage Yeah, it's so cool and it is shot in a very kind of intense, like you said, Hitchcockian cinematic way and it's kind of you can't but think that imagine like you know there's so many like huge horror franchises right now and they're massively profitable Stephen Moffat could have very easily kind of realized what a brilliant idea this was and thought actually no I'm not going to use this as Doctor Who I'm going to go and make my own horror franchise and make mega millions of pounds yeah. well, you could have done that in the confidential for this episode Moffat says you know you've written a good Doctor Who screenplay when you go oh well that's that feature film idea gone <laughs> yeah but this this really there is potential in the weeping angels for like a whole horror film franchise that could have very easily have existed outside of doctor who and yeah, yeah. no we're kind of privileged enough to have such a brilliant concept within this show yeah um when sally does blink and those weeping angels move she's in the police station which is as we've, we've had a passing mention so far as where we meet billy who is Sally's sort of a love interest for some of this episode. Um, Stephen Moffat does a really good job, I feel, at writing relationships between characters in a romantic sense. Oh, yeah. Well, it's before Doctor Who, he's best known for the sitcom Coupling, yeah. which was a whole romantic comedy. So he's so in his element. And it really works here. And he kind of, he doesn't, it's not like, it doesn't feel like he's kind of falling back on his laurels here and just writing it because it's something he's good at writing. It feels like he's writing it and it he works into the story and forms that kind of, it's not a massive, deep relationship, but it still kind of impacts you emotionally, what's there, yeah. and it's used to the most of its potential later yeah. on. Yeah. So I have a question for you, Harry. Would you rather die now? or be transported into the past and have to live out the rest of your life in the past? Um, well, the latter, because I get to live longer. But you'd be, like, stuck on your own. You would be on your own. I, I, I reckon I'd be able to make some friends, maybe. 
I could uh, I could do a Bill Tannen and play some bets. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you could actually. Yeah, I'm surprised no one ever did that in this episode. That would have been an interesting concept. Maybe they could revisit. The doctor it. probably told them they couldn't. The doctor's yeah, probably like, point. "I'm so sorry. You can't. You can't abuse it. The fixed points in time. Something. Something." Yeah, but I think that would be cool to sort of maybe in future episodes if Moffat ever wants to return for one episode, sort of go, "Oh, what if they sent? What if Weeping Angels sent someone back who was a knob?" And like, what did they do in the past, and how did they use their abilities to sort of benefit themselves? See, then I imagine that you do some kind of moral thing where, when they've made their millions, right at that point, a weeping angel sends them back again. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. Um, let's talk about one little thing: the DVD shop and all the Easter eggs on DVDs. It's maybe slightly dated now, and but at the time it was very modern. I don't. This was where I learned what Easter eggs were. Yeah, do they still do Easter eggs on DVDs and Blu-rays? Is that a common thing anymore? Or? I don't know. I feel like there's things on them that are quite easy to find, but there's usually a, a hidden thing, isn't it? On oh, I cannot remember who's the guy from Scott Pilgrim versus the World. What's the main guy in that called? Michael Serra. Yeah, he's in a film, and I can't remember, it might be Scott Pilgrim, where the DVD menu is him in silhouette form dancing. But if you watch it for an hour, he does not repeat a dance move. It's not looped. It's him. They filmed him dancing for an hour just for the DVD <laughs> menu. That's insane. Yeah. Insane. I do, I don't, but I feel like, I don't know if this counts because I think it was something I was able to toggle on and off. But I remember when I was a kid, I had this SpongeBob DVD. And sometimes in the middle of an episode, like a like some kind of like SpongeBob-esque symbol, like a piece of coral would appear. And if you clicked on it, it would jump you to some kind of behind the scenes extra of like a cast member or a storyboard artist or something. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I don't know about them. What did you think to the guy who looked a bit like Nick Frost, but wasn't Nick Frost working in the DVD store? I did not even think to make that connection. Yeah. I mean, I, my question is, what happened to him at the end? Did Sally just take his job? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because this is a year later, isn't it? But that guy wasn't yeah. really doing anything when Sally walked in the shop. He was just watching the DVDs. Yeah. I liked... It was very funny how they kind of used the uh, whole why don't they go to the police line with them? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, it was like partly a fourth wall break, but not a fourth wall break where it still made sense in the context of the show, but also this kind of little wink to the audience. Yeah. And then they actually followed up on it. I thought yeah. that was great. What do you think then to the idea that you could easily defeat a weeping angel just by holding a mirror up in front of it? Well, they'd have to suspend the mirror there, though, because... As soon as you move the mirror away, the angel will be able to move again. They just get like a full body mirror, put it against the wall in front of the weeping angel, then walk off. Yeah, but as soon as another but another angel could come along and like smash that mirror from behind, and then you're back to square one. Yeah, but it'd give you a bit of breathing room, wouldn't it? It'd give you some time, sure, but it's only a temporary solution. What if you put it in the corner of the room? Therefore, the only way to access it would be to walk in front of it. Okay, so just lead the angels into like a room with a big mirror. Yeah, it's like one of those um, crazy mirror rooms that you yeah. get. Yeah, like a, like yeah, or like a dance studio. Like dance studios always have mirrors. In them. Yeah, that's true. 
I cover a whole wall. <laughs> the weeping angels. That's it. Dancers, are, dancers are immune to the weeping angels. <laughs> um, we may as well talk about it. The famous tenth Doctor line: "Don't blink, wibbly wobbly, all that stuff." Um, I really liked it when he meets Billy and he shows him the timey wimey thing machine that he made. And like, we don't get much. Tempt it goes when we Dean do, when there's stuff. Yeah. He goes like full doctor when we do see him. It's like, oh, I've got a, I got a thing. Well, two things. Well, three things and a lizard. And this thing, he goes bing when there's stuff and don't hold it in their chickens because it fries eggs and they go bang. And everything is so, it's like, it's like, so, it's, yeah. like it's like every single of the 10th doctor, but it works because you every... get it fleetingly. Yeah. It's amazing how every, almost every single line the 10th doctor has in this episode is, has become a, like an iconic line to the whole show. Like wibbly wobbly tiny wimey is just kind of synonymous with complicated Doctor Who plots now. Yeah. 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 I feel like even even people who don't watch Doctor Who, I feel like you say, you know, wibbly wobbly tiny wimey. Most of them be like, oh, Doctor Who. I like to think it's like the new Who's reversed the polarity. Mm. That's true. Do, Do actors have actors after... Tenant used Wibbly Wobbly. Did Matt Smith ever say Wibbly Wobbly Timey Wimey? I, I feel like he might have used. done. It must have been used. Yeah, I can imagine Matt Smith and Capaldi saying Wibbly Wobbly Timey Wimey. Yeah. Um, I really love these Doctor Light episodes. They're great. Father's Day. Yeah, there's some of the. Mm. Um, love and Monsters Blink. Yeah, there's so- somehow they're some of the best. And I, I just don't. I don't know how they keep doing it. I guess just something about those limitations really just encourage um, these writers to be really creative. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that Moffat ended up with the Doctor Light because kind of it's known that Russell absolutely loved what Moffat was doing. So it's surprising that he decided to put that limitation on him. Unless Moffat thought of the episode himself and was like, Russell, got a great idea for Doctor Light. I have no idea how that kind of decision came yeah, I'm to Yeah, sure I'm thinking series one, I think I'd put Father's Day when we did our rankings. You can go back and listen to those, by the way, guys. Um, I think I put Father's Day number two and Empty Child, Doctor Dances as number one. Love and Monsters for me again in series two is number two. is number one for you. And spoilers, it's going to go, Blink's going to go quite high on my list again this year. I feel like you can probably already tell from the way I'm talking about Blink where Blink <laughs> is going to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I really loved it. I've got... Shall I tell you what I shall do, Harry, for the first time in a long time? I'm going to read some of our viewers' thoughts out on Blink as well because I did put a thing out on Instagram um, at Bigger on the Pod asking for you guys to give us your thoughts on Blink. Now, I tend to do this every week, but every week I put it on the Instagram. I always forget to read out what people thought of the episode. So, uh, Harry, talk for a little bit whilst the app loads. Okay. So. Plug the social media accounts. Do that. Uh, uh, we have social medias. Uh, we have at Bigger on the Pod on Twitter. We have so on it's all Instagram. Bigger on I think they're all the same now. They're all the same handles. Is it? Is it all at Bigger on the Pod? I think so, yeah. Let me check. So it's the same. On Instagram, yeah. on YouTube, you might be already watching on YouTube, but it's just bigger on the inside there. But search bigger on the inside podcast, and we'll be the first thing that pops up. That's true. We're on Acast. We're on Spotify. 
We're on iTunes. We're on other things, I believe. Google Podcasts. Where? Yes, we're everywhere. Here we go. There's no escape. There's no excuse not to listen. That's true. So I put it out on Instagram. I asked you what your thoughts were. Dunny Ayotes. Oh, jeez. One of my faves. This one of one of my faves. In this episode, they knew how to make a viewer terrified. I also really like Sally. And Logan, who we've shouted out before, he said this episode is overrated. So he probably disagrees with what we said. I do feel to some extent it is slightly overrated. Um, but I, feel, I feel if you watch it, the payoffs do come. Why? I, I, I'm genuinely interested. Why do you feel this episode might be overrated? Do you just feel like kind of it's a cool standalone thing, but calling it the best episode ever is a bit much? Maybe, possibly. I feel like the hype for it is too much. I feel it's good. It's really good. It's one of the best of the series, but um, I don't know if it's perfect. I'm getting the vibe it's not your favourite of this series. Uh, I don't know. I've been working on my list. I'm not sure where this is going to fall. It's going to be quite high, though. But I wasn't mm. disappointed with it by any means, but it wasn't as... I wasn't as ex- as thrilled to watch it as I was with certain other episodes. Like when we did Series 1... I was really amazed by how much I loved um, uh, An Unquiet Dead. Yeah. But with this one, I was sort of like, okay, well, this is one I'm slightly apprehensive about. And then I watched it, and uh, my my feelings after I watched it were the same as before I watched it. Nothing really, my opinion didn't really change of it. I mean, I gotta say, I was probably the same. That's because Blink is an episode I've watched more than most episodes. Yeah. Like, if if I'm watching Doctor Who casually with a friend, like, we normally don't watch it in order. We'll kind of, you know, pick specific episodes you want to watch. And Blink is one of the ones that, you know, very often you want to watch because Blink's great. Well, our, our mutual friend Matt, he went out for drinks with work the other night. And then when they all got back to their place, they put the telly on and they watched Blink. <laughs> Did they actually? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a good episode. Blink's not, it's, like I was saying, Blink's great. I think like, what Blink they probably can... didn't do, though, is they probably didn't watch Blink and then have a quiz about it. You, you, not me. I hate being patient. Patience is for wimps. Whoa! Quiz time! What year are the Doctor and Martha trapped in, Harry? 1962. 1969. Fudge! That was I. That was my second guess. Of course it was. Of course it was. Um, the, it was. The man at the start of the episode, he delivers a letter to Sally Sparrow. What relation is he to Nightingale? He's her grandson. Yes! One point at last! When Nightingale arrives in Hull, what is the name of the gentleman she meets and then ends up marrying? Oh, God. I want to say Adam. Is that No. Ben. Oh, I should have known it began for B. That's one out of three, I'm afraid, Harry. I think what we should do one day is apparently Blink is based upon a comic strip that Stephen Moffat wrote for the 2005 Doctor Who annual with Christopher Eccleston when he was a Doctor. So we should probably try and pick that up, maybe, and compare the two stories. Yeah, I didn't know that. That'd be very interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, The best part of every episode we do is the recommendations. Harry, 
What are you going to recommend to us this week? Before I go, I just want to tell you you were fantastic. Hmm. Hmm. Would you like me to go first again? As always, Tim, yes. Okay, so I'm going to recommend time to a sitcom think. that I came across on um, Netflix yesterday, and I've binged all of Series 1, and I just started Series 2 about half an hour before this recording. It's Motherland, which is a BBC comedy. Uh, it is genuinely one of the funniest modern sitcoms I've seen. I think Series 3 is currently airing here in the UK, but by the time this goes out, it may already all be on BBC iPlayer for you to watch. Um, it's got a great all-female cast. Diane Morgan's in there. Uh, oh, everyone's name suddenly escapes me. Let me have a quick Google. Um, there's also been a name that we've thrown around for the role of the 14th Doctor, whose name is Anne Maxwell Martin. Lucy Punch is in there. And so is Paul Reddy as Kevin, one of my favourite characters in it. It's just so, so funny. Generally makes me laugh out loud. If I'm watching it on my own, I will just quite happily laugh out loud. And I think that's a really good sign that like, it's actually funny because how many comedies yeah. do you actually watch on your own and actually laugh out loud at? Very little. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Motherland. I think it's very funny. Yeah. And like, like I said, I love all these house members. I especially love Diane Morgan. Uh, Diane Morgan is someone who I rate very yeah. highly. Speaking yeah, yeah. of which, I would like to recommend a, uh, another comedy which Diane Morgan, I believe, created and starred in, uh, which was, I believe, at the end of 2020. I can't remember when exactly it aired, or maybe it was the end of 2019. But it was a comedy series called Mandy, uh, in which Diane Morgan played the titular character. And it was just kind of like her playing this very absurd character, going on these kind of quite domestic, low-key, but also equally absurd adventures. Like, (laughs) there's one episode where... She marries. She marries. Uh, I believe some kind of a spy. I think a Russian spy. And then also like her uh, ex-lover Sean Ryder, played by Sean Ryder, makes an appearance. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's an episode that's all about her being trapped inside a coffin. It's uh, David Bradley is in an episode because David Bradley is in everything. Yeah, um, it's got a hundred percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Rightfully. So, uh, Mandy is just as good as Paddington 2. <laughs> and it's free to watch on BBC iPlayer, all the series one. Yeah? It seems to be one series, but... There's as only often one series, the case but it's one BBC. good series. What's that? There's only one series, but it's one damn good series. The often what seems to be the case with BBC is they give... They get a comedy, make it run for one series, and that's it for some reason. But yeah. Um, I feel like Mandy, Mandy deserves a second series. If sure Diane wants to make it. Uh, what's coming up next week Harry we've got Utopia and that whole start of the uh, beginning of the end of series 3 um, oh was there a vote Saxon reference this week I don't think there was was there no there wasn't the last two episodes haven't had vote Saxon which I feel in a way I kind of prefer because these episodes have been particularly strong episodes and have kind of become very strong kind of outside of just this series they kind of fall for some the best Doctor Who stories. And honestly, not having the vote Saxon stuff to kind of tie to this series makes them kind of stronger as kind of standalone experiences to me. Yeah. I'm sure somebody out yeah. there did spot one. So if you did, do uh, leave us a comment and let us know if yeah. you did spot one. Probably but a post in sure the DVD store or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anything else, Harry, before we say our goodbyes? 
Uh, I don't think so. Can't think of anything. Can you, Tim? Nope. Bye. Bye-bye. Make sure you subscribe to the official Bigger on the Inside podcast.